0: You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Greensmith, episode 456. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP456. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie?
1: Oops.
0: What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I have been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth.
1: Yes!
0: Hey, hey, pod people, Amy here, and it is time for another little ring-a-ding to a guest expert. We're going to dial an expert today, and we've been doing a series on transitioning, and we kicked this off with Deb Stilato. You'll definitely want to check out that interview. Man, she has gone through so many different things and shares a lot of great expertise on how she was able to handle some pretty severe relationship issues. Last week, I talked about sort of a six-step framework of ways to process through transition really powerfully. And this week, I'm going to give a call to a friend of mine, Michelle Ward, who is a brilliant business coach and has gone through a handful of very serious issues in her personal life, which massively impacted her professional life and her relationship. So I'm going to give her a ring real quick, and hopefully she will pick up before I do that, though, I want to make sure you know a little bit about the lovely Michelle Ward in the event that she does pick up and has some time to chat with us. So she helps women launch their service-based business in just 90 days so they can be their own damn boss. She has been on hundreds of different media outlets, USA Today, New York Magazine, NY Post, Huffington Post, Etsy, Newsweek. I mean, the list goes on. I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the platform Creative Live. It's a really incredible learning platform where people can purchase different programs and sometimes they're even for free on business or. Crafts or a photography or all sorts of different things. And Michelle actually created a program for them on Creative Live called Create Your Dream Career and Ditch Your Day Job, which was watched by tens of thousands of people on that uh, Creative Live p- platform. When she's not coaching or teaching or speaking, she can be found watching her little beautiful daughter play hockey. Or sitcom binging with her husband, belting out show tunes. She has a theater background, which I absolutely love. So you can register for her free training at 90daybusinesslaunch.com slash training. And 90 is the numbers, 90 day business launch dot com slash training. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. if It's actually something that we probably won't be discussing if I get a a hold of her. But if anyone out there has a service-based business or something that they want to start and get out there, Michelle is definitely somebody to check out. So let's give her a ring and see if we can talk to her a little bit about what transition looked like in her life.
1: Hi, Amy. Michelle.
0: Hi, friend. I'm so glad I caught you.
1: Thanks so much for calling. You just got me at the perfect time. I just finished my gym tan laundry. Now that I'm a Jersey girl, that's what I got to (laughs) do. You're so Jersey. I can't take it. (laughs) I'm so Jersey now, all of a sudden. No, seriously. I'm not, but I don't talk like this, but I am Jersey but I don't really talk like that. <laughs> Do you ever put that on just for the hell of it and just Oh, for sh- I mean, I'm a Long Island girl at yeah. like a- initially, so it was Long Island, New York City, Brooklyn, New Jersey. So like, yeah, this is in my blood. I used to talk like this. Did you? This is ha- Oh, yeah. My my acting background kind of like got it out of out of me, but um yeah, my my husband a few years into her marriage Saw my brother's bar mitzvah video, and at the end is sixteen-year-old me. So I swear to God, I sounded just like this. Brandon, you did great at your bar mitzvah. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And he literally, my husband looks at me and he's like, "Who is that? Who is bar? that?" And I said, "Would you have married her?" He's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> hard pass. Hard <laughs> fast, Hard pass. But love to my Long Island roots, and I don't know. I think the accent's great.
0: I love it. I, I was wondering if it was possibly rooted in your your thespian experiences.
1: I, th- um, I think possibly, which is weird because I think it, it got taken out of me when I lived in New York City and went to NYU, which kind of makes no sense because you're like, well, you're in New York City, so wouldn't your New York accent get stronger? But I think right. because I was around a lot of people from different places and going through the acting you know, training that NYU gives you, that yes. it's just, yeah, not not what it used to be. Well, listen,
0: I'm glad you picked up because I'm over here with the audience, and we've been talking about transitions, but not just, you know, like an intentional transition, mm. more like a forced transition, a major yeah. life curveball yeah. that. You kind of have to reroute your plans. You have to reassess, possibly deal with some grief. And I thought I got to call up my girl, yes. Michelle, because yes. she has had like fourteen the of these curveballs thrown at her. <laughs> so,
1: yes.
0: so tell us a little bit about the journey of not once but twice being diagnosed mm-hmm. with breast cancer. Yes. Yeah. Walk me through. I'm 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 guessing that the
1: second time. Yeah. Was a totally different experience. You are correct. Take me back to that first. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll go back in our time machine. It's, you know, 2011. My husband and I at that point had been married for three years. I was 33 and we were really trying to have a baby and we were not, it was not happening, but we had all these issues and we finally found a doctor that said, okay, I found the problem. And here's your pills and you're, it's going to regulate your hormones. And I'll see you in six weeks if you're not pregnant, but you probably will be goodbye. Nice to know you. And I was like, great. We're finally going to have a baby. And literally a week or two later, (laughs) I got a breast cancer diagnosis. I don't think anyone who gets a breast cancer diagnosis, like expects it. Um, but I definitely didn't expect it as a 33 year old before my first mammogram, I had a lot of history of cancer in my family, but when you're much older, and so usually your um, chance of getting something like breast cancer goes up significantly if you have a family history of other people, especially when you're young, of other people who get it, you know, under the age of forty or fifty. I didn't have that in my family, and so I went and I got these scans, and I got a letter from the radiation. um, from the place that did the scans. And at at the time I lived in Brooklyn and I went to a hospital in Brooklyn to get these scans done. And they actually sent me a letter and it was just a form letter. And there were a bunch of like places they could check off. So the first place was like, everything was fine. Go live your life. That wasn't checked off. The second place was like, "Mm, there's a little cause of concern. You might want to follow up with the doctor, like, but no urgency that wasn't checked off. (laughs) Then there was, uh, okay, you should look into this sooner rather than later. That wasn't checked off. And what was checked off was like urgent, urgent, wow. like things like it was, I mean, obviously it wasn't worded that way, but it was like, it's urgent. Go see someone ASAP. And I could not believe that I didn't get a phone call. I get anything. They literally put a letter in the mail to mail to me. And I got it in my mailbox the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. <laughs> So it was like the day before Thanksgiving. And of course, how are you following up with anyone? Right. The day before Thanksgiving. And I was on my way to see a Broadway show with my mother. So it was like, I picked up this letter. I opened it. I got in my mother's car. I was like, the scans are bad. Something's bad. Like we need to do this. We like went to this Broadway show in a fog. And my mother being a Jewish mother from Long Island with all the connections was like I'm getting you in I know the you know head of oncology at this hospital and um a breast surgeon um not the head of oncology a breast surgeon in, in a hospital out on Long Island I'm getting you in to see her she owes me a favor blah 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 and that fr- like the day after Thanksgiving I was in her office and she gave me the exam and immediately was like you you need to go get more scans like now and I'm sending you right now So they sent me right now, right then after I got the scans, they did a biopsy right away. And my mother told me later on, once I got the diagnosis that she, she's had cystic breasts, like most of her adult life. So she is very familiar with biopsy. And she said, she knew right away something was wrong. She's like, I've had biopsy so many times and it never went down like that. Didn't look like that. Just whatever they did. And however quickly they did it, just like, they know, they know, they don't tell you, but they know. Um, so it was super, super scary and awful within like a few days. We, we got the results and they told me initially it was stage two breast cancer later on. They, (laughs) I don't know whether to call it upgraded or downgrade it, but like they said, Oh no, it's actually stage one, which was great. You know, I had a lumpectomy, then I had chemo, then I had a Bubble removal, as I like to call it, bilateral <laughs> mastectomy um, and reconstruction. And then my implants got infected and I needed new implants. Oh and my God, Michelle. That was my year of like, you know, the end of being 33 into 34, the baby stuff was put totally on hold. Um, sure. And it was just, you know, uh, <laughs> how do you expect that something like that to just kind of fall out of the sky and your life is just turned upside down, like in, a, in an instant, in an instant.
0: And were you working in the coaching modality at yeah. the time? Yeah. I'm so curious what the effect was on all the other areas of your life. Like that's a whole element of grief yeah. in and of itself oh, yeah. of like, oh, yeah. I'm curious just what your day in and day out life was like, would yeah. you woke up, or were you like,
1: yeah. Hey, I've got cancer in my boob. I don't want to say it was kind of dependent on the day, right? But everything was just so up and down, and like I am, I've learned from Brene Brown that I am an Mm overfunctioner, and so I'm definitely that person who, like, let me try, like, let me take control of the things I could take control on, and so let me figure out, like, how am I dealing with my clients and how am I communicating this and what logistics do I need? And you know, it was the end of 2011. In March of 2010, I left my corporate job, so I was I was coaching full time for almost 2 years about a year and a half you know my business was established and enough and and doing well enough but it certainly you know it didn't feel like oh there's a strong foundation and there you know it was definitely still this oh it's been a year and some change and i'm just kind of getting the hang of things my husband at that time was working full time in an advertising agency and he was like ready to leave and go freelance and so it changed that trajectory because once i got the diagnosis it's like, we need your health insurance. You can't go anywhere. We bought an apartment like right before I quit my job. And so it was like, you know, you have that checklist again of your life trajectory of just like, okay, great. We, not that we're following these traditional models, but like jobs. And then we got the we got married and then we bought our apartment and then, okay, let's have a baby. And then like, oh, and then I could quit my job. And like, you know, you kind of have these, bigger goals or things that you're working towards, I did wind up being stage one. I felt I felt very lucky in a lot of ways that like, okay, this thing isn't coming to kill me. Um it's just going to fuck shit up for a year. And it's gonna fuck up our baby plans. And honestly, that from looking looking back, you know, 10 ish years later, like that's really what sticks with me was that um I, at one point had a list on my phone of all my friends who were getting pregnant while I was going through this cancer treatment and, you know, how many of my friends got pregnant in this, you know, whatever six month period. And at one point I had like 25 names on my phone. And that to me was what I felt like hurt just as much as the diagnosis and the physical things that I had to go through was like, especially for this Capricorn, who's just, you know, I want to be in control and I have these plans and I have these things was just like, this is totally out of my control. And this is not anything that I would choose. And the trajectory of my life is now in a tailspin. Um, So it just always felt like this is something to get through. I need to just get through this. And the way that I dealt with it in my business too, was I knew I wanted to be honest about it with my clients. But when I thought about, I did think like, okay, well, what do I think I'm going to need? Because you just you just don't know. You're just guessing, right? Like, yeah. how am I going to feel day to day? And what am I going to do? Really what came up for me was, okay, well, to be committed for like a client call at a certain date at a certain time, that's what felt the scariest, I guess, or the most uncertain. Um, like I felt I could do other work as I felt well enough to do it. But I thought, okay, maybe I just won't do coaching calls, or maybe I just won't do one-on-one clients, or maybe I just won't, you know, I'll press pause on these things because I don't know how well I'm gonna feel. And the second I thought of having to let go of that, I got really sad and really angry. And I was like, I, that was my favorite part of my business. And I was just like, no, I don't want to give that up. That's my, that's like my release and my relief. Um, so I wound up scaling back on that, doing less and saying to my clients, like, I hate telling you in advance that I might need to cancel things. Um, and at the time I had a 24 hours, like a mutual cancellation policy, 24 hours. So I give you 24 hours. You give me 24 hours. Otherwise if I don't give you 24 hours. You get a you get to reschedule the session and you get a makeup. So I just felt that was fair, but I was like, no, you get, you give me 24 hours. I give you two hours because if I wake up in the morning and I'm not feeling well, and I'm not going to be a good coach for you, then I'm going to let you know. And we're gonna, you know, reschedule, and everyone was so kind and lovely, and was like, "Of course, oh my gosh!" Of and course. So yeah, that was kind of the day-to-day so piece of how, things. How long
0: until you had like clean bill of health, or you're in remission?
1: You know, what was the timeline like? Essentially, like once you're kind of, want to remember, like once. Kind of done with chemo, and I had the mastectomy. Then it was just like everything's out, you know, just like everything's out. So that was um, I had my booboo removal in May or June of 2012. I got diagnosed in November. So it's Probably like six or seven months until you're just like, okay, it's kind of it's gone. There's nothing, nothing left. That's probably how long it it took that round. And then in 2015. I just had, I just found another lump and kind of a weird, weird place on my, on my chest wall. Um, It didn't hurt, but it definitely was like, what is this? This hasn't been there. And I was going to see my oncologist the next week for like my, I think at that point, I might've only been seeing her once every six months, which is something that you kind of work up to. Usually it starts with every three months and I was seeing her every six months. And I was like, Hey, are we worried about this thing? And she's like, you know, I think this is just a fat deposit, but I'm going to send you for, for scans anyway, and let's just see what it is, but I don't think you need to worry. Um, so that was, you know, from, and then she was wrong about that, but (laughs) you know, can't be right all the time. Uh, but that was that time in between was like, you know, June, 2011 until, oh gosh, that was September, 2015. So it was like almost, almost four years, five years is like the, the cancer milestone you always kind of keeping your your eye on. So I've, I've hit that milestone. Now, I don't know exactly the statistics, but once you hit the five-year mark, then your chances of reoccurrence and everything go go down. Um, so that's kind of what you're looking for.
0: It's interesting that you were talking about going into that kind of defense mechanism of over-functioning. Uh-huh. And one of the uh-huh. things that... I can, I, I think I used to go into that. I definitely do in certain circles around when I feel like I need to take care of everybody, you know, familial, I'm definitely the matriarch in the family. So there, there there's certain places where I can very easily slip into that role, but it seems like with that, when you're, when you're dealing with something that has such an emotional overload where there is a lot to contend with. There's this now thwarting all of the baby process, which sounded like it was, you know, even uh, kind of even more devastating. Yes, right. Yes, right. How do you, or what was the process? Did you get to a place where it was like, okay, I can't keep using the over functioning and I'm just going to break down and I'm going to have this <laughs> big, messy outpouring of emotion?
1: I mean, I think it happened fairly often. I could pull my husband in here. <laughs> if you ever sat I mean, he got the the brunt of it. Um, and again, I've, it feels like it was more of that outpouring of like, this isn't fair. This isn't what I wanted. Um, that grief and anger of like, you know, the other people having babies at the time, like they got married three years after us and they had two babies and we don't have any babies. And we're just like dealing with fucking cancer. And, you know, there was over-functioning. I remember like, like the first day when I, when I got the diagnosis, there was definitely over and like, like just, um, shock. Um, but I definitely had that emotional breakdown that, that day. And we joke that my husband is on West coast time <laughs> because <laughs> he always is like stoic and fine. And like, you know, for 24 hours or 48 hours. And then all of a sudden it'll hit him like, you know, way afterwards. I woke up early and I had to get out of bed and I turned the TV on and, um, the Ramona and Beezus movie was, was on oh my gosh. and, my husband wound up, you know, cut like an hour or so later. He's just like, where are you? What are you doing? Oh, you're watching this movie. And he comes in midway through the movie. And like a few minutes later, the cat dies and he's hysterical. He's hysterical. He's like, oh my God, what if you die? And what if they think? I was going to say funnily enough, but this is the, the big reason why we, we named our daughter Ramona because of that story. And my husband was crying, go, we're not going to get our Ramona. And we're not, and this isn't fair. And what if you die? And where's our Ramona? Why can't we have her? And like, he just like, like lost it. it there is something nice about like, okay, I don't have to be the only one going through this, this breakdown. And um, I know he doesn't mind me sharing the story. Um, and I think it is worth bringing up that the the caretaker's, need to be taken care of. Like, I think that that cancer diagnosis specifically hit my mother and my husband more than it hit me in a lot of ways. So they were, I think the ones really trying to hold it together and, um, be that, be that support and, and be that rock, um, while putting on that, you know, stronger, stronger front. Did you
0: then have that Of backlash of like, oh, now I need to take care of them because they're grieving so hard and they're so upset. How how do I make them feel better? You know, you know, that kind of overfunctioning thing.
1: I don't know if I did that necessarily. I think it was definitely like, yeah, I want to, you know, comfort my husband while he's (laughs) having his breakdown. There's so many, like, just physical and emotional hardships when you're going through cancer treatment and so much that falls on your, on your loved one. And like, you just often don't have the capacity or the, sure. or the space, um, to, to help them. Um, and I guess it was a good thing. Like, I don't remember going into over mode to try to fix them, but I do, you know, of course, if I was able to ease their, their burden, I would want to do that. But you're just in such a state so often, just like a weakened state. Physically, mentally, your brain, like, you know, chemo brain's a a thing that's real. And you just can't um, be there like you want to be there. Sure, sure. Yeah.
0: So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod? And I think this might happen for you, where you think damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested, and brought us keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness, and all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to Amy Green Smith. slash speaking where they can get in touch with me because listen, it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my <clears throat> colorful language if needed. And thank you. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this podcast. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing super easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Well, testing for what, you might ask? Well, they have a huge array of at-home testing kits, including women's health, men's health, sexual health, and wellness kits. In fact, I did two of the women's hormone testing kits and it could not have been easier. And then when I received the results, I was able to simply forward them onto my naturopath to get her thoughts. All you do is you simply choose your test online. It will be delivered to you in discrete packaging with next day delivery. And then once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results Will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Once your results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician and then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. And in some cases, a physician will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of your choosing. Let's Get Checked Laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checked lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by. providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever leaving your home. It has never been this simple to get tested. So get this. If you want to try a test from Let's Get Checked, all you got to do is go to trylgc.com slash bold truth to save a whopping 30% 30% on your first test kit, 30%. Just use the code BOLDTRUTH, all one word at checkout. That's BOLDTRUTH to save 30% on your first test kit. Now let's jump back into today's topic. I can't help but pick up on the ongoing list of pregnancies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So my first, my first thought was, Oh my gosh, you're you're causing yourself so much more pain mm-hmm. than necessary. But then my second thought was, oh, maybe you genuinely needed to keep track of mm-hmm. bridal shower
1: or baby shower, yeah, yeah, yes, yes.
0: Or or do you feel it was like a little bit of a punishment, like a self punishment? Mm-hmm. of Like you know how we can wallow, we can really hang out in our grief and our "woe is me" ishness and there's, and I really think that there's, that's a necessary part of uh-huh. it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I think, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show, how once you have a certain set of skills or you understand how fear works or your inner critic or dealing with emotional intelligence or whatever, you, you think that you have to always utilize that, right? Yeah. Like you have to always yeah. take the high road. And I don't think that's how it works to really traverse the ups and downs of uh-huh. emotions as a human, like just experiencing all that upheaval. So, and so that's something that I definitely want to throw out there for everybody yeah. listening. Like, there's a time when you do need to. You find out that your partner's cheating or whatever, and you're just like mm-hmm. obsessively looking right, for right, their, right. their exes. Yeah, or totally, I think right. it's a necessary part of it. So, yeah. So, talk to me a little
1: bit about that particular choice of behavior. Yeah, yes. Okay. So um surprisingly we haven't talked about my ukulele songs and the fact that I'm a nut. And when I got the cancer diagnosis and I thought, okay, well, how am I breaking the breaking the news to um my audience? Because, you know, back then it was like I had a blog that I was, you know, writing on for, for years and I had my Twitter account back then or whatever we were, we were doing marketing wise. And, um, and also, you know, my, my clients who I, I always felt there that it was very important for me to talk about what is going on behind the scenes of my business. Um, because i never want to be someone that just projects like unicorns, rainbows. Let me talk about my six figure launches without talking about like, the fact that I, you know, made an offer and nobody bought or whatever it was. Right. So I always try to be very transparent um, and, you know, give, give a a bigger picture. So I was like, okay, well now I need to kind of tell the the public quote unquote, that I have breast cancer and I don't want to bring the room down. Like, I remember this is like, it's always, it's just the word, like that was one of the worst parts of, going through this diagnosis is being this messenger of like, hi, I'm about to ruin your day. You know, I had to call my best friend and be like, hi, can you come, come over? But like, maybe your husband wants to drive you, but also I'm not going to tell you right now what's happening, but it's going to be upsetting. Like, you know what I mean? And so you have to be that person. I hate being that person. And I think again, especially because it was phase one, stage one, I was just kind of like, Oh no. I'll be fine, everybody. So let's just, so I made, a, I wrote a song on my ukulele and I was not, I was still don't consider myself like a songwriter. This isn't something I've ever really done. And the ukulele was something at that point I was playing for only, I don't know, a few, a few months at that point. And I wrote a song um, called, I've got boob cancer and I put it on YouTube and I put it on my blog and I sent it out and I was like, I have boob cancer. Um, And it was, it went like a little viral. I got write-ups on all these different places. It was like, I was on new people. Someone was like, I was watching my, my news, my local news. And there you were. And um, it was very weird. Wow. And throughout the cancer journey, I wrote more and more songs about what I was going through. So I wrote something called the cancer card about how, if you tell people you have cancer, you get anything that you want. Uh, But, you know, I wrote, I'm getting new boobs when I knew I needed to have, the boob removal and I was getting reconstruction. And so like, everyone's your friend when you have cancer, uh, was another one that I wrote. So I wrote these like oddly comedic ukulele songs about my boob cancer. And I think that when I started making the list of pregnant women, I was like, I just need a song of all the names of all the pregnant women, because this is how I'm processing this. And this is how I'm like lightening it. And being able to get through it. And I w- and I do remember trying to like match up the names, like which names rhyme? How am I getting this together? But eventually I guess abandoned it and never, and, and probably because it felt painful and, and awful. Yeah. At the time It was it was hard. But yeah, there must've been something about like, oh my gosh, it seems like everyone I know is pregnant. And I think there was that piece of, is this true? Is there truth to that? Let me make a list and see. Um, and then it was just like, yeah, no, it's true. Everyone, you
0: know, is pregnant. Wow. I love that because it, one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, what were some of the things that you found particularly healing and, uh-huh. or what were your go-to coping mechanisms? Because those two things are not the same because sometimes we cope with things that aren't necessarily healthy or don't, you know, really, you know, we could cope by stalking out our ex or, you know, so and I, and i definitely think there's room for that i think it's just about creating a chronic way of being like do i want to always reside in a place of victimhood or or woe Aye, is me or sadness but i think there's room for engaging with those sort of quote unhealthy behaviors or coping tactics but i love hearing that and then also the intuition around oh that's actually a, what started out as kind of farcical and funny actually does cause me a little bit more pain. Okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Good to know. Let's uh-huh. el- eliminate that way, song yeah. as a way to heal. That's <laughs>
1: yes, right.
0: It's interesting because I've I've gone through that a little bit in a different way where I've always been since I was really little really sure like brazenly sure that I did not want to ever be a mom. Uh-huh. And there was a very real grief period that I went through where much similar to your story where I was like, nobody's in my boat anymore. Yes. Right. Right. Yep. I'm I've chosen a lonely path that a lot of it. And I don't second guess it at all, but Uh I would, I, part of that grief process is anger. Right. And I would be pissed. My husband's best friend who is kind of like a sister to me. I remember talking with my coach about it where I'm like, I'm so angry at her because she was Mm -hmm. a diehard
1: I don't uh-huh. want kids.
0: Uh-huh. And she got, she drank the Kool-Aid. Uh-huh. Oh, no. I was like, no, it was. Traitor, supposed to be- no. Right. Um, and of course I got over that and uh-huh. it's uh-huh. not about me, uh-huh. but uh-huh. Right. talk to me a little bit about navigating some of those pieces of grief. I think it yeah. sounds like the over is a, an element of the bargaining process? Yes. Where you're like, no, yes. oh, no, nothing to see here. I'm going to be just yep, fine. It's just each yep, one. Yeah. Blah, yep, blah. Yep. Obviously, there was some sadness, some anger. What was that process like for you? Was it up and down? Did you have a real strong anger oh, f- yeah.
1: phase? Was oh, there? Yeah. Like um, I mean, ever? I definitely had a strong anger phase. And it was definitely, <sighs> I remember, you know, getting, I wrote this Everyone's Your Friend When You Have Cancer song because people, kept checking in on me who Mm. like, were not my support. You know what I mean? We're just like Um. rando people. And so I'm just like, and I would say, I'm such a bitch. I'm such an awful person because these people are, are, are not, they're like perfectly loved. They want to see how, how am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. Can I do anything? This and that. And I'm just like, go away, go away. Um, Yeah. And I felt like an awful Person, because I was just like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to deal with your Facebook messages. I don't want to deal with your text. I don't want to deal, like, leave me alone. I don't want your, I would get mad sometimes at people when they would send me, um, everyone wants to send you like, like sweets in a And So we get like oh, a really? dozen, oh yeah, like a dozen cupcakes. And I'm like, we are two people in an apartment. Why do I want a dozen fucking cupcakes? Like, this is yeah. not, this is not. Helpful, and I'd be like pissed at someone who like bought me a gift. Looking back on it, I know I'm not a horrible person. I was being horrible. It was just the way I was kind of processing things. It's just like if you're not my support network and you're not my, you know, thing, then like go go away. If I haven't talked to you since fourth grade, like you do not need to Facebook message me and like ask me how I'm doing. Like I'm not. I don't want to talk to you. You're not my person. There was um, constant anger constant, I don't know if there was bargaining. Like mm, mm, I definitely wasn't like, okay. And I'm not someone who believes in God. I'm definitely now more, more than I was then a hippie dippy, like universe, believe in the universe, this, you know, more of a spiritual person. There was also for me and who I am just like, how can I get back in control of this situation? And so something tangibly that I did was I got this book called anti-cancer which I highly recommend, even though it's the worst title ever. Um, but I was like, I need answers. Like, why did this happen? Um, and I'm never going to know. I also got all of the genetic testing. and all came back negative. There was no genetic reason why. I didn't have the family history and I don't have the gene. So like, there's really no idea why this happened, how this happened. So I'm never really going to know. But I bought this book called Anti-Cancer. And it, and it really does go into like, why... Do first world countries have this problem? Like, why has it been so widespread in the last, you know, in the 50s, people didn't get as much cancer as they do now? Like, what has changed um parts of the world where there's like barely any cancer? What like why is that when here in the states um and in North America it's so prevalent? So they gave very tangible kind of reasons and, and examples as to what is contributing to our high cancer rates. Um and then like how can you make the choices to pull back on these things? Um, so for me, it was like realizing for the first time, you know, oh, the things I put on on my my body and in my body um are are, are toxic. And so, huh, maybe I need to look at skincare and makeup that doesn't have certain chemicals. And then it was like looking at the meat industry and Mm -hmm. eating, you know, oh, maybe I don't eat meat anymore because that could be really problematic with the hormones, even if it's organic, blah, blah, blah. Oh, having plastic Tupperware, having, you know, like, so, so feeling it more in control that like, okay, I could get rid of my Tupperware and buy my Pyrex. Okay, I could install the um, environmental working group app on my phone and check out mm-hmm. all my cleaning supplies and my makeup, like those things were helpful too. So I'm thinking about
0: specific life curveballs that people are so shocked by like, yeah. like a diagnosis or an yeah. illness, the loss of somebody, a divorce, yeah. Yeah. changing careers when you thought you had job stability and all of a sudden yes. there's downsizing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, losing a home or needing mm-hmm. to move immediately for in mm-hmm. some way. I think there it's kind of twofold, at least how I'm viewing it is there's the there's the emotional processing that needs to happen. And then there's also the strategy or the Uh logistics, like how do we manage? Okay. Now it's going to look like doctor visits, or now I need to go find a new place to live. Or, you know, it's all of that, that sometimes we don't get to that emotional place of processing Mm -hmm. until the logistics are handled. Yeah. Especially if you find comfort in that. And I think that's why, you know, it's going to come out no matter what, like you're going to have to address the emotional element, no matter what, it's just, it, it just depends on how willing you are to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, everybody has their own process, but I'm wondering for for folks who are listening and they're going, fuck, I know what that's like to have this plan. I'm going to have yeah, this baby. Yeah, yeah, and oh, yeah. why am I not getting pregnant? And oh, I have cancer again a second time, you know, mm-hmm. and oh, my implants are fucking up. Like all right. of that. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what advice would you give to somebody who's in a place like that? And they're just, they're fumbling around going, especially if they're, you know, a Capricorn or a Virgo yeah, or a right, Taurus, exactly, or like, right, right,
1: you know, right, or the, the ones right. who like the, or I love
0: my stability and my order and my plans. And, and there's a grief just in the
1: plans being thwarted. So mm-hmm. what would you suggest to somebody like that going through that? What comes to mind as you were talking with that is this thing that I feel like, remains pretty much unspoken, especially with cancer, um, patient survivors, where when you're done with your treatment, people treat you like it's all over and you think that it should be all over, but emotionally it's not all over. Sometimes it's usually just beginning <laughs> That's right. and even kind of logistically, like here's, here's a good example the last few years, my dentist is like, you need to go to a, um, what's the gum dentist, periodontist, um, to let you have gum recession, blah, 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 like for years. And I just take the referral and I don't, I don't go. I'm just like, I don't, don't want to do, I don't want de- to deal with this. And so I saw her, I saw the dentist like a month or two ago, and she's like, have we talked about your gum recession? I was like, yeah, talked about it. You've given me the referral. I just haven't, I just haven't made the appointment. And she, she's has a very like dry sense of humor, which I like, she's like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go do that. Sounds like a fun time to me. And then she (laughs) scared me and said like, well, you're too young to lose your teeth. So I just think that you should make the appointment. And I was like, fine. But literally my brain, when I get stuff, it's like, it's like, no, I've had cancer. I don't want to deal. I don't want to, I don't want gum recession. I don't need gum surgery. I don't want, I have had cancer. I'm done. The long way of what I'm trying to say is like, you are not fucking fine. Don't try to trick yourself that you're fine. You are probably not fine. If you're fine, I would actually look into that. And Rama was probably like putting things a, a bit too deep. And you just need to recognize that this is now like your new normal and whatever you need to do to adjust to that new normal and not live your life in a pit of despair and, uh, and anger and and whatever else this brings up, do it. <laughs> I love that you brought that up because
0: I'm thinking specifically about losing my father. My my dad died in front of me um, in 07. Oh, and it was actually kind of a a beautiful experience, yeah. Um, as odd as that sounds. Yeah, but yeah. I remember that same thing where it felt like there was this, okay, you get some bereavement and there's like this little... Snippet of time where you uh-huh. get all the sentiments and the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah the thoughtfulness yeah, yeah. and all of that, and then it kind of yes. the, people kind of forget that that's not a loss that you just jump back from. <laughs> right? And yes. and what I would also add to that is is to still advocate for your own healing, right? Yeah. Like, so if you're uh-huh. in that sort of a situation and people have acted like you should be over it, to genuinely speak up and say, "Hey, to be really honest with you." I'm still really grappling with a lot of stuff around Mm -hmm. fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And here's my request. Like, here's what I'm asking for. I remember I had a girlfriend who also lost her father. And I said to her, like, how can I be amazing for you? To -hmm. to your point about the randos who showed up wanting to jump in about your cancer. You know, I said, do you want me to not check in at all? Do you want to completely be by yourself? Do you want, to hear my experiences. Do you want to, do you want none of that? Do you want sympathy? Like tell, and if you don't know, that's okay too. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. really genuinely, first of all, I would say telling people what you actually need from them, even if you think they might not understand it. Yes. Yeah. And being bold enough to say like, and that's, that's a part of our bullshit capitalism society. That's like, we need you to go back to producing. Can you go back right. to producing yes, shit?
1: Totally. Yes. You know, we, yes. we don't
0: have time for your emotional issues. Right. Um, <laughs> right. We need you to make money and contribute to the society. So I would say that's one huge element is like actually asking for what you need, but then also being, I have this saying of speak your truth into ears that can hear you not all uh-huh. ears are capable uh-huh. of hearing you. Yes. So the people and I'm curious if this is your experience, the people who you really want to lean on sometimes are not capable of being leaned on.
1: Oh, a million percent. I mean, and I think that's what something like this brings to light for better and for worse. Um, you know, when I first got my diagnosis <laughs> before my ukulele video that I released to the public, um you know, I sent an email out to, you know, my, my close friends after telling my family members and, you know, my best friend and this and that. And it was literally the subject line was like an email to ruin your day. And it was just like, this email will ruin your day. Please read it. Like when you're, you know, in private or whatever. And I heard back from, I think everyone on that email, except one person, like one of my friends, I literally never heard from again, very strange thing from me just disappear after you send them an email that you have cancer. That's what happens. There are people that you want to lean on that will be there for you a million percent. And there are people that won't, um, they can't handle it for whatever reason, or they don't know what to say and they just disappear or whatever. And then there'll be people who you had no idea they were part of your support network and they, they do wind up being part of your support network. You made me think of a really great book that Emily McDowell wrote with someone else. Forget who called there's no good card for this. Um, oh yes. And I love that book. And part of me felt like I've been through cancer. I don't need to read this book. I know what to say to people in the horrible situations, but it, it, it's not true just because you've gone through something like this. You're it doesn't. A big takeaway from that that I use to this day is number one, you say to people, no response needed. No response needed. Yes. And it just takes them off the hook, right? They can respond if they want to, but it just takes them off the hook. And number two, I I love the idea of like if you ask someone what they need, a lot of times they just can't even vocalize it or they can't even do it, you know, depending on kind of where they are emotionally and what's happening with them. And so you instead saying, I'm going to send a cleaner to your house on Tuesday at three o'clock to set work. Or like, I'm bringing you dinner on Wednesday. Tell me what you want on your pizza. Like you just kind of tell them what you're doing (laughs) and leave it at that. And I feel like something like that is very helpful. in in a lot of ways, it's great to have people coming out of the woodwork and to feel so supported and also everyone leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) Except the people that I want to talk
0: to. (laughs) That's that's interesting because that everybody processes totally differently. And I'm thinking Uh if somebody said I'm going to do this, I would be like, like fucking hell, you are. Like I would be, I would be like, you're giving me extra stress. Right. That's interesting. Uh I now I have to make sure that my house is at least in some order. Right.
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, or no, I already. So I think. To your point, it's how well do you know that person?
1: Do you know what they actually want? And they have a chart. They have a chart in the book of just like where are you in the inner circle of this person? Like only reach out to them directly if you're. you're I love that here. If you're all the way out here, don't do it. Don't do it. They don't want to hear from you. Don't contact them.
0: Right. Right. I know. I think it has to do with how well do you know that person and what they genuinely would find helpful. But you know what? My very best friend in the world, Andrea Owen, who you know, I am routinely shocked at what she would rather have in the form of support. And we've been friends for 12 years. So, and I go, Oh, okay. Good to know. I'm so glad I asked, but I think saying something like, Hey, it's okay. If you don't know Uh right now, if at Mm -hmm. any point you do know. Yes. Right. Please reach out. Or right. here's this is what I tend to do is I go, here are a shit ton of options. If any of that sounds helpful, let me know. Right. Yep. Because so much of the time you're like, I can't make another decision.
1: I'm already so over. Yes. 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 Which is why just the general what can I do question like feels not helpful in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes feels more like a burden. Yeah. Because what can I do? It's like, I oh, it's, yeah, I, I like, yeah,
0: I like to phrase else. it more like, "How can I be amazing for you? What, yeah, how can I, I support that. you the best?" Love that. And then just saying, like, does that look like leaving you alone? Does that look like frequent uh-huh, check-ins? Uh-huh. yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so yep. great, this is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this story. Oh, I'm so course. glad you picked up. We're not talking at all about the work that you actually do in the world. So,
1: <laughs> where, if okay. people are
0: more interested in the work that you do and want to hear more about you, where can they
1: find you? Where do you hang out on social? So come to 90daybusinesslaunch.com. That is my business now. Um, I work specifically with women who want to launch their service-based businesses in just 90 days so that they could be their own damn boss. I am only really on Instagram now. You could, you know, follow the link on my website to my 90-day biz launch account. I'm also on Instagram. My personal account is Hey Michelle Ward. If you wanna look at those YouTube videos, uh, you could probably just Google, you know, Michelle Ward cancer or something like that and find them. I don't know how how I forget what my like YouTube, I'm barely on YouTube, but I don't even know what my YouTube profile is. Otherwise just hit my my DMs or hit my contact and say, I really want to see your ukulele videos and I'll send them to you. Cool. Well we'll definitely see what we can find and put it, put it in the show notes. Yeah. And
0: I just appreciate you sharing just a general like real world example of yeah. a curveball that you did not see coming. Yeah. And you know, what that's like to navigate and, and yeah. be really generous and compassionate with your own humanity. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate you. you so much.
1: You're amazing. I would not want to talk about cancer with anyone else. <laughs> have such a fun time talking about cancer with anyone else. So thank you, Amy. Appreciate well, being here.
0: I'll let you go. I know that it's a big ear piercing day for Ramona. it's ear
1: piercing day for my eight-year-old. Yes. we got to get to the mall. Cause that's what we do in Jersey to go get, get and pa- uh, we're actually going to the mall to get the ear piercing. So <laughs> can't wait. Nice callback. Nice callback.
0: <laughs> All right. I love you, my friend. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much. Oh, she is just such a gem. I hope that there were some lovely little nuggets of wisdom that you were able to extract from this week's episode and just some encouragement of (laughs) how to navigate a major life curveball that kind of comes out of nowhere and you just don't know how you're going to stay afloat. Michelle is such a great example of what that looks like and human resilience. And like I mentioned, all of her links will be in the show notes. Be sure to check her out. Next week, we're going to be diving into a completely new series all around feeling stuck. What do you do when you just feel stuck? I feel like everybody's been feeling really fucking stuck for a while, especially with COVID and now monkeypox and who knows what else, you know, just your everyday average apocalypse (laughs) that we're going through. So be sure to stay tuned. We've got some really cool guests coming up talking about that as well. And in the meantime, you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and tell the bold faced truth.